Children's Church, if you all will head to the back of the sanctuary, uh, Nancy's going to take you downstairs and others and help uh, lead you through a time of, of learning and growing, and we're going to do the same right here in the sanctuary as we open God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for the privilege it is to have the Bible. We take it for granted. There are many Christians around the world who would give anything to have a whole, complete Bible in their hands or to have one that they don't have to hide for fear of being arrested. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to treasure it for what it is, your holy and perfect word. And now as we open it, we pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts and help us to be willing to not only hear what you say, but to be obedient to it. Lord, thank you for everyone who's come this morning, the effort they've made to be here. And we know, Lord, that you will bless the lives of those who open their minds and hearts to you. So we pray that you'll do your work of encouragement and grace and conviction and strengthening and comforting all the things you can do through your word this morning. And may your will be done in all things. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We've been going through Philippians verse by verse on Sunday morning. And we're still in chapter 1 and ready to look at verses 19 through 26. And there are two statements that Paul makes here that really can become the basis for life verses, really. If you want a, if you want a life verse, if you want something to, to stake your life on, and to every day remind yourself of, really, these two statements are tremendous uh, guidance verses, encouragement, conviction verses to live by. This passage really talks about the life and death of the Christian. It gets to the crux of the matter. There's so many things that we can talk about that don't get down to the very basic uh, foundation decisions of life. But this is not one of those passages. This is Paul in prison. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. He didn't know whether he would live or die. But he makes some statements here that will stand us all well whether we live or die. Whether we continue to live for many years on this earth or whether we face the moment of death, these are verses that we can hang on to. Look at Philippians 1, beginning at verse 19. Follow with me. For I know, Paul wrote, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. 
And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. You can, you can just feel the emotions that Paul had as he wrote these words. He was imprisoned. He was going to face trial. He didn't know whether he would live or die. He felt like God was going to deliver him so that he could continue his ministry. But yet he had these emotions that were telling him, I don't know which is better. Whether to depart, he even says, it's far better. But yet for their benefit, he really wanted to stay. Because he cared about this church. He wanted to do everything he could to help them to not only come to faith in Christ, but to grow and develop in their faith. He wanted the gospel to reach the world. And here he was in the capital city of the world of that day, in Rome, in prison. And God was using him to share the gospel. Paul gives us two summary statements here that help us to see how we can live for Christ, and then how we can die in a way that brings honor to Christ. A young man came to W.E. Gladstone, who was at that time the Prime Minister of England, and he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate it if you would give me a few minutes so that I can lay out the plans for my life, my future before you. I'd like to know what you think. And so the great statesman said, fine, I'll listen to you. The young man said that he wanted to study law. Gladstone said, what then? Well, then, sir, I'd like to gain entrance to the bar of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to have a place in Parliament, the House of Lords. Yes, young man, what then? Then, sir, I hope to do great things for our country, for Britain. Yes, young man. And what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man. And what then? Well, Mr. Gladstone, I guess then I'll die. Yes, young man. And what then? Well, I really never had thought about it very much. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, Young man, if that's the case, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. You see, life is about living on this earth. And then what then? What happens when life comes to an end on this earth? What happens when the physical body dies? Is that the end? Well, there are many in our world that would say that's it. And you know what? If that's their aim, if that's where they think they're headed, they're going to live that way too. If they think there's nothing beyond this life, then their life is going to show it. But if you believe that you're here because God put you here, and you're going to go to God at the end of this life on earth, then that's going to affect the way that you live your life. 
What are you living for? Your answer to that question will determine the direction of your life. If your purpose is wrong, your direction will be wrong too. Paul helps us here. God speaks through Paul to talk about, first, the aim of life. What, is, what are we here for? What is the goal? What is the purpose of the life of a Christian? Why are we here? Are we just here to be like everybody else in this world who lives as if there, <clears throat> as if there is no God, who live as if there's nothing beyond the grave? Are we, is it our goal to just be like everybody else, to just fit into that mold and not be different in any way? <clears throat> that would seem to be what many people are aiming for. Whether they set out and intend to aim for that, that's the way life has become. We've just kind of fit into that mold, and that's the course that we're following. Notice what Paul says in verses 19 and 20. Paul tells them that he hopes, he's confident that God, essentially God's will is going to be done. He wants to stay alive so that he can minister to these people who were praying for him and who needed his help. But then he says in verse 20, And hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a verse to remind yourself of day after day. That today, Lord, I want my life to magnify you. May you not be, may you not be dishonored in any way today because of my life. And Paul said that he might, the Lord might be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul knew that if he continued to live, his aim, his goal, was that Christ would be magnified. The word magnified meaning to be made evident, to be enlarged, to be uplifted, to be exalted. He wanted Christ to be exalted in his life. Whether he continued to live or even through his death, he wanted Christ to be lifted up. That should be the hope and prayer of every one of us as Christians. That every day we live, that Christ would be magnified. That the world would see less of me and more of Christ in me and through me. That's what this world needs. The world needs to see Christ. And yet the, the adversary is working overtime. People who don't know Christ, he's already got them right where he wants them. But with Christians, he's doing everything he can so that we would exalt ourselves and our desires instead of magnifying Jesus Christ in the way that we carry out our lives. He can't take us away from Christ, but he can obscure Christ's witness in and through us. And if he can do that, that's what he'll lead us to do. And he's got a thousand million ways to do it. Some of those are terrible things, evil things, sinful things. Some things are very good things. Good things that compete with what is most important. But any way he can obscure Christ in your life, he'll lead you 
to embrace that. And so we have to stand before God and ask him, Lord, are you being magnified in my life? Are you being lifted up in my priorities and in my time and in the efforts that I make? Are you being magnified, whether by life or by death? Sometimes as Christians, we think that, you know, living the Christian life is all about when we're healthy and when we've got all the time in the world that's what God expects of me. But you know what? God wants us to magnify him from the moment we receive Christ into our life until we take our final breath. Yes, even our death is an opportunity to magnify Jesus Christ. And so our responsibility doesn't go away when we get sick. It doesn't go away when we get older. It doesn't go away when we're young. It doesn't go away when we're busy. Christ is still to be magnified in us every day that we live, whether by life or by death. That is a goal to live by. The aim of life is to magnify Christ. And then he gives us the pathway for that to happen, the pathway to victory. So if that's the aim, that Christ would be lifted up and glorified and made evident in our lives, how do we get there? That's where verse 21 that we recited together comes in. Because Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if we want to magnify Christ in our lives, this must be our attitude. That for us to live is Christ. He's not just some peripheral uh, person or thing that takes up the fringes of life. And if we don't have anything better to do, or we don't have anything more pressing, then there's room for the things of Christ, for Christ himself. No, he said, for to me, to live is Christ. That's what life is about. And God has given us everything that we have, all the people that he has given us in our lives to influence to love, to care about. They are all very important. But they are important because God wants us to pour our lives into them that they might know Christ and that they might live for Christ. And as we do that, He is glorified even through our jobs, our family, through the, 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 the things that we do with our time, those things don't cease to be a part of who we are as Christians. God has given us all the people and, and places and opportunities that we go throughout the week that we might magnify Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ means to be in union with Christ. Now, you can't, you can't say for to me, to live is Christ unless you're a Christian, can you? 
You have to be in union with Him. It means that you have asked Him to come into your life, to forgive your sin, become your Lord and your Savior, and only you can do that. Nobody can do that for you. But the wonderful thing is Jesus has said, whoever calls upon my name, the name of the Lord, will be saved. So today, if you can't say, for to me to live is Christ, you can start saying that today. By being in union with Christ. Asking Him to come and be a part. To be your Lord and Savior. To forgive you and to cleanse you. That's why He came. That's why He died. That's why He rose again. So that He would be able to forgive your sin. The instant a person believes in Christ as Savior. He is joined or she is joined. In a living, real union with Christ. As the head of of the church, the head of the body, and we become members of the body of Christ. But He is our Lord. He is our head, and we follow Him. And the idea, of course, being if we're members of the body, when the head tells your arm to do something, you do it, right? The arm moves. If, if everything is healthy, your arm does what your mind, what your brain tells your arm to do. And so on and so forth. Your legs, your mouth. And so if we are the members of the body of Christ and He is the head, then that means we are to be moving and speaking and acting and living at His direction. We are in union with Him. He's not over there somewhere and we're over here doing our own thing. And once in a while we go and open the closet and we take Jesus out and we entertain him a little bit, and then we put him back in the closet for the rest of the week, or for the rest of the month, or for six months, or until we need something. That's not being in that's not the idea of being in union with Christ. He is the head, and we are the members of the body, and we move at his will and his direction and his purpose. To live as Christ means we exalt Christ, as we've already talked about. Another way of stating that Christ is to be exalted and lifted up and magnified, that's the goal of the Christian life. To live as Christ means we want to exalt Him and to honor Him. To honor Him with our bodies. Notice that Paul said that in verse 20 that we looked at earlier. Being a Christian is not just thinking the right things. Being a Christian is not just the thought life. Disengaged from the way we live. Disengaged from what we do with our bodies. See, the Gnostics, one of the great early heresies, taught that all God cared about was your mind, what you thought. He didn't care what you did with your body. You can do anything with your body that you want. God doesn't care. He only cares that you think the right thing. That's not that's not a New Testament that way of living. That's not a biblical understanding. God wants all of us. And the body He's given us is so we can carry out the work that He gives us to do on this earth. We are to honor Him with our bodies. That's what Paul said. That the Lord might be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That is how God would have us to live. And then to live as Christ means to deny self and to serve. 
How did Jesus live? If we're saying, for to me to live is Christ, well, then it might be the way Christ lived. And he, didn't, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so denying self is at the heart, it's at the core of what Christ would have us to be and to do. Paul's desire was to go on to heaven. He said that would be far better. But he was also torn and wanted to stay because he wanted to help. He wanted to serve the people who needed him so much. He was willing to deny his desires for the sake of Christ so that others would come to know him. That's the mentality we must have if we're going to say, for to me, to live is Christ. Many people today have the notion that Christ is there to serve me, not that I'm here to serve Christ. Now, of course, the wonderful thing is Christ does serve us, but we're not here for him to serve us. We're here to serve him. And that carries over many times in churches, that there are those who seem to think that the church is just here to meet all my needs, all of my felt needs. And if it doesn't do that perfectly, well, fooey on them. Well, good luck finding a church that will always perfectly meet all of your felt needs. Because you know what? That's not what the church is here for. The church is here to minister to people, but also for people to minister, to serve. And you know what? It's a lot easier to help somebody come to the place where they feel like they are peaceful and satisfied and growing in Christ if they're serving. If they're serving. Because when you serve, you are ministered to in a deeper way than if you're just sitting and expecting everyone to dote on you. That's not what the scripture says the Christian life is about. We are here to serve. And when we serve, we are served by the Spirit of God, by other people. And so open your heart, open yourself. To be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ. Make it be the motto of your life, what Jesus said. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Denying self in order to serve is at the heart of saying to live is Christ. How can we live like this? Well, you have to try. You have to want to. You have to make it your aim. As long as you're aiming at something else, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So it's a decision of the will that you have to say, Lord, I want your purpose to be my purpose. And now I'm asking you to show me how everything in my life can now be oriented around you and what you want for my life. And if that's what you want to happen, the Lord We'll see to it that it happens. I have every confidence of that. If we're open and willing, then he begins to do his work in us. And it's through prayer. And it's through the Holy Spirit. 
Paul said in that beginning verse that we read, verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Did you know the Lord has given you the supply you need of the Spirit of Christ? That means the Holy Spirit. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's the Spirit of Christ. And He has come to live in you the moment you ask Jesus to come into your life. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And so you can do what God wants you to do, not by your own power, but by His power. You have the power, the power of Christ in you to do what He asks you to do. And then the second part of that statement, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I often say this at funerals. I said this yesterday at a funeral, that it is an un- it, it, from, a world's pers- from the world's perspective, it is an unnatural thing to use those two words in the same sentence. Die and gain. Because to the world, death is the end. It is the worst thing that can happen to you. But for the Christian, though it is, it's a terrible loss for those left behind, for the Christian who dies... It is not loss, it is gain. That's why Paul said to die is gain. He said, I have this great desire to depart. He meant to die, which is far better. But yet, he was concerned for those he would leave behind. And I think that's the way every Christian feels who's facing death in the body The pain, the illness, the sickness may have reached the place where they are ready to go, but they're still concerned about those that they are leaving behind. Absolutely. But you know what? The God who saves us is the God who is with us through all things. And he can help us to face whatever we have to face, whether we live or whether we die. And so Paul was able to say to die is gain. That means you have peace in the face of death. That means you have confidence in the face of death. That means you have assurance that when you die, you simply step over the threshold from this life into the presence of God, into the most beautiful place you've ever seen, into the the most wonderful life you've you've ever had and ever will have. Life goes on forever for the Christian. It's a change of address. You move into the Father's house. That's what Jesus called it. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So when you gave your life to Jesus, whether you were 8 years old or 7 or 10 or 15 or 75, a room in the Father's house was prepared for you. And someday you're going to move into it. You may live to be 107 the way Rose's grandmother did. You may be 45. 
You may be 65. We don't know when that day comes. But when it comes, to die is gain. For the Christian, you leave this body and you step into the very face-to-face presence of God. Earlier when you sang that song, When We All Get to Heaven, it was almost like we could see the gates opening up. It was beautiful. The organ, the piano playing, and you singing. Every time we see people in heaven in the scripture, they're singing. They're singing praises to God. And so when we're singing like that together, glorifying and lifting up the name of Jesus, we're doing here what we're going to do there. Worship is so important. It lifts us and it honors and magnifies him. And so to die is gain. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not trying to make this pie in the sky. When you lose somebody you love, when somebody dies that you love, for those of us still here, it's a great loss. And I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. But to have a Christian perspective on it, to open your mind to look beyond the hurt and the pain, see that for that person, to die is gain. And we're all going to walk that road someday. It's just a matter of time. And when it comes for us, it will be gain. And one of these days, there won't be any of this left. No more dying, no more pain. All the former things will be passed away, and all that will be left is the presence of God, face-to-face with Him. And that will be the greatest gain of all. So in conclusion, where do you want to get to? Where do you want to get to in your life? If you want to get to heaven, then you need to consider the question, What am I living for? And if you can finish the sentence, for to me to live is, what is it, the law? As the the young lawyer talking to Gladstone, money, success, power, influence, my family. Some of those are wonderful things. But all of that's going to come to an end someday. And then what? And then what? For to me to live is Christ. And what then? To die is gain. Are you ready for that? Let Jesus make you ready. He will be the greatest gain you'll ever find in all your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your love. And thank you for telling us the truth Sometimes your word is hard to hear. And sometimes it's glorious to hear. And we thank you for the great assurance you give us in these verses of Scripture. That to live is all about you. And that will bring great gain. Now and for eternity. Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to give their life to you. 
They need to be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ. Then may this be the moment they open their heart to you. Help them to be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again. I ask you to forgive my sin and come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. We know you'll hear that prayer. You'll respond as you have promised to. Lord, there may be other, others here who need to make decisions that you have laid upon their heart. Maybe there's someone here who's already a Christian and they need to follow you publicly. There may be Christians here who need to rededicate their life to you publicly or privately so that they can walk out of here saying, for to me to live is Christ. And Lord, whatever decisions you lay upon our heart, help us to not walk away without being obedient to you in these moments. For it's in the name of Christ we pray and trust. Amen. I'm going to